takes a split second for us to get used to the lights, you know, a little bit of the glare, but it's really good to see you. Good, good to see you, and welcome here this morning. Um, my name's Nate. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and if you've got your Bible or on your device you want to look it up, 2 Kings 11 and 12 is where we're going to be this morning. And before we get there, a uh, little bit of an exercise for us in emoji fluency. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say it? Go, go ahead and flash the first picture up there. If you, yeah, that. Have you seen that smiling face before? Yeah, now, seriously, most of you are going to be a lot more fluent than me. And this is what I'm about to share with you. It's something of a confession that um, wasn't too long ago. And I was with, uh, t- texting with my daughter. My daughter lives in Australia. And so she and I are texting back and forth. And I was communicating something to her, and I don't even remember what it was, uh, but that it had to do with um, a little bit of frustration and maybe a little bit of sarcasm uh, and a little bit of, uh, sheesh, can you believe it? You know, that that kind of went down the way that it did. And, um, and, and, and then she, and, and I attached an emoji to it. I'm going to show you what that is in just a moment. But when I sent that emoji, uh, she sent back to me this emoji, and go ahead and check. She sent that one back to me, and and she said, Dad, this is the emoji that you should have sent to communicate what you had meant. And I I looked at that, and I thought, well, that's just kind of a, that's not a very attractive face. And I'm not sure that I meant that, but she insisted that, no, this is what you meant. Because this was, and go ahead and show the third one, that's what I sent. <laughs> and she says, Dad, and you know, I even we're texting, and so I couldn't really hear her, you know, but, but yet I could, you know, even over the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> Pronouncing my name with two syllables, Dad. <laughs> You know, in frustration with me, that one that you sent me communicates that someone is like hot, she says to me. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me because I've been sending that thing. And she's like, you better not have been sending that to, to women in the congregation. I'm like, the surely that doesn't mean what you think it means, but the fact that all of you are laughing lets me know that she's right. I was wrong the whole time. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of a given. When, in, in my family, it, you know, uh, just this morning, Kim says to me, you know, if, if they don't laugh enough with the emoji illustration, let them know that it wasn't too long ago, eh, a little while ago, because the kids were still in the home, we sat down one night for dinner, and... Um, and I, as part of the dinner conversation, I asked this question genuinely. Like, I'm searching for an answer when I ask this question. So, what is Wi-Fi? <laughs> Even six, seven years ago, everyone I think on the planet knew what Wi-Fi was, except for me. So, you know, and even when it comes to you know, Kim, this past week, you know, we were looking and Jimmy Fallon was interviewing Jerry Seinfeld and they were talking about how if you're a man over 50, you ought not to wear jeans. 
It's like, <laughs> I'm 56. So a lot of the key is you got to know who to listen to and who not to listen to. But the point is this, and here's why I'm sharing it, is that we're going to see in today's chapters that um, sometimes people don't know how to act. <laughs> and so God, in his grace, sends someone else along to show them or to tell them, to teach them, to instruct them. And that's what we're going to see, because God, in his grace, sent Joash, a man named Jehoiada, who is high priest. And that's what we're going to see. We need the Father to have sent along the Son so that we know how to act. Paul, the apostle, gets himself in trouble sometimes for having said in some of his letters, hey, follow me or imitate me the way that I imitate Christ. Paul wasn't getting too proud or anything like that to have said that. He said, I'm following Jesus. Let's do that together. So that's kind of a, maybe not a proposition for the morning, but it's a little bit of a, um, a summary, let's say, of the two chapters that we're about to look at. A little bit of a summary that you have a boy who is going to be um, born and at the age of about one, uh, and we're going to read this, he's stolen in an effort to save his life. And then he comes to be king at the age of seven. How in the world is a seven-year-old boy going to take charge of a kingdom? And so God sends along another man whose name is Jehoiada, and that's what we see, okay? So open up your Bible if you haven't already. 2 Kings 11, and I want for us, as we kind of work our way through, and I'm gonna kind of just read and interrupt myself at times like I do in men's Bible study and make some comments about verses or phrases as we go, so I'm going to do a little bit of that this morning. But I want for us to keep our eyes open for three things, three things this morning. And you've got them there in your notes, hopefully. First is this, that God is faithful always to keep his promises. God is always faithful no matter what. He is going to see to it in his sovereignty and in his goodness to keep all the promises. And in fact, here, he's keeping the promise in particular to preserve the throne of David. You might remember back to Christmas and we were looking at Isaiah chapter nine and verses six and seven there and it says there will be no end to his government, to his peace, to his throne, to establish it and to uphold it. You know, and the throne of David, the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. And then it says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. God is the one at the end of the day who does not leave it in our hands to control our own or his destiny. He superintends and he will see to it that his promises are kept. He will see to it that the line is preserved and that Joash makes it to the throne. So that's the first thing. Second thing is this, that in some ways, and some pretty powerful ways actually, Jehoiada, the high priest, is going to help paint a better picture, not a perfect picture, 
but a better picture of who Jesus Christ as our great high priest is. And I want us to kind of keep a lookout for that as we work through the text, especially the back end of chapter 11. We're going to slow down a little bit and take a look at that. Third thing is the character of Joash. I want for us to see that here's this precious little boy, and he gets taken and hidden. He comes into uh, uh, his reign at the age of seven, and then it says about him in chapter 12 that for as long as Jehoiada the priest was alive, that Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And so I want us to see that, but also see that in himself, he never really amounts to a whole lot. And that by the time chapter 12 is done, and you read the parallel accounts in 2 Chronicles 22 through 24, right through there, you read the parallel accounts for him, not only does he not finish well, he finishes horrifically, does Joash. And so be asking ourselves along the way, okay, what does it mean to claim to walk with the Lord? What, 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 what does it mean to have someone nearby who's telling me how to walk with the Lord? Versus, am I really making it my own? And am I the one who is standing firm in the faith as I move forward in life? Joash didn't do that. But we pray to God that we each would, right? So let's keep our eyes on Joash as we go through. And I'm going to start reading now. This is in 2 Kings chapter 11. It says, Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, and, and you need to know this about Athaliah, that she was a wicked, wicked, wicked woman. Like we, we wrapped up last week, and uh, you know, Pastor Trent was right when he said, the Bible is not a rated G document. <laughs> you remember from last week in Jehu, and he's storming up the Jezreel Valley. You know, I'm going to bloody the flanks of my horses. I can't wait to get to Jezebel to execute the will of God. You talk about passion to do the will of God, sheesh. It's like, wow, like, like is that over the top that he just had to kill? He's so desperate to slay this wicked, wicked woman, Jezebel, that, you know, they, they pull into the courtyard, and they yell upstairs, you know, where is she? Well, she's up here. I don't have time to get up there. Throw her over the side. Just toss her over the balcony. And then I'm going to ride over her back and forth with my chariot until there's nothing left but like hands and feet. Grizzly stuff. Athaliah, they say, was related. Maybe a daughter, daughter-in-law to Jezebel. And now in the southern kingdom, so that the, the narrative is kind of transitioning from northern kingdom where it just seems like it's all and only bad, king after king after king, into the southern kingdom where you get some, some rays of hope from time to time. But oh my word, not with Athaliah. 
So Athaliah, it says, the mother of Ahaziah. Ahaziah reigned for one year. And it says that he did exceedingly wicked in the eyes of the Lord because his mom, Athaliah, was his counselor. He reigned for one year. Must have been hell on earth. Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead. She arose and destroyed all the royal family. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being put to death. Jehoshaphat. So I think that that's the only time she gets mentioned. She might get mentioned in the parallel account by name. She's an aunt. And maybe a good question for us to be asking is, not what kind of relatives do I have, and how is it that I can evaluate and criticize my family members, but what kind of relative am I to the rest of them? Am I this kind of person who's going to have an eye out for godly preservation and look to the needs and the safety of, of a nephew. And even if it's pretty scary, and even if my life is on the line to do so, am I going to do it? I am astounded and blessed by her courage. She doesn't get named anywhere else. Maybe someday in a million years I'll meet her in heaven. You know? Maybe you will too. Jehoshaphat and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being put to death and she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. The nurse doesn't even get mentioned by name. Who's the nurse? She was a brave woman. Okay, I'll volunteer. I want to be there and it doesn't matter to me what happens. I'm going to commit myself to that little boy and I'm going to do my best I get some faith in Yahweh. I'm going to see his life saved. So who's 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 the nurse though? Someday maybe we'll figure out who she is, what's her name, and we'll go look her up too, just to say hi in heaven one day. Wow, brave woman, brave girl, perhaps. Maybe she was real young, I don't know. Thus they hid him from Athaliah so that he was not put to death. And he remained with her six years, hidden in the house of the Lord, while Athaliah reigned over the land. Why didn't Athaliah find him? If he's there in the temple, my guess is because if Athaliah worshipped at all, she's worshipping down the street in the temple of Baal. You know, she's not going to bother with the temple of the Lord. Why would she? And so she didn't come around. People kept the secret. They perhaps hid him in plain sight. Go ahead and play and do everything that little boys do, you know. And we're going to just act like we have nothing to hide and pray, and hopefully you won't get caught. Six years later, it says, but in the seventh year, Jehoiada, and God sent Jehoiada, the high priest. In the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of the Karaites and of the guards and had them come to him in the house of the Lord. 
and he made a covenant with them and put them under oath in the house of the Lord. So he's the, the orienting agent is the living God in Jehoiada's mind. That's a huge thing. And had them come to him in the house of the Lord, and he made a covenant with them and put them under oath in the house of the Lord, and he showed them the king's son. You know, you talk about a revelation. <laughs> and he commanded them, this is the thing that you shall do. One third of you, those who come off duty on the Sabbath and guard the king's house, another third being at the gate, sir, and a third at the gate behind the guards shall guard the palace. Just know that, you know, it's a security force meant to guard. Take that from the text. And the two divisions of you which come on duty and force on the Sabbath and guard the house of the Lord on behalf of the king shall surround the king, each with his weapons in his hand. And whoever approaches the ranks is to be put to death. Hey, this is a matter of life and death because we're about to crown a seven-year-old king. So, so you guys, you know, let's say my dad used to use this phrase in the Marine Corps, lock and load, right? You better be ready. Weapons drawn. Be with the king when he goes out and when he comes in. That is your mission. Surround him and do what it takes to preserve him and to save him, to see him throned at all costs. And then verse 9, the captains did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded, and they each brought his men who were to go off duty on the Sabbath with those who were to come on duty on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priest gave to the captains the spears and shields that had been King David's which were in the house of the Lord. So there's some symbolism going on there, right? That, that these weapons get ascribed to David. It's preservation of David's line, you know, the southern kingdom. We want to be true to Yahweh here. And so there's some symbolism going on. And the guards stood, every man with his weapons in his hand, from the south side of the house to the north side of the house, around the altar and the house on behalf of the king. Then he, that is Jehoiada, brought out the king's son and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. What is that? <laughs> gave him the testimony. Flip over. You can keep your finger there in 2 Kings 11. Flip over to Deuteronomy 17. And I want to read this to you. God, in his great grace, knew that the day would come when Israel and Judah would have kings and that those kings would need to operate a certain way. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, all things he'd given to Moses in preparation for the kings that would come many, many, many years later. And this is what God says in Deuteronomy 17, verses 18 to 20. And when he, talking about the king, and when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book, a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priests. So it's talking about the Torah, or it's talking about the law, uh, essentially what would come to be the Bible. Hey, 
you're about to be thrown. Here's a Bible. Your first task is you yourself, the day before computers, longhand, write out a full copy of the Bible. Now, that's a pretty tall order. You just think about that. It says, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest. And here's why. It shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life. They want from the king that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, that they keep his character in check, freshly, truly humble, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. So back to 2 Kings, and that's what Jehoiada gave to Joash. He's only seven years old. But you know what? It's not too early to start reading and even copying the Bible. And he brought out the king's son and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. And they proclaimed him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, Long live the king! When Athaliah heard the noise of the guard and of the people, she went into the house of the Lord to the people. Okay, here comes Athaliah. And she's steamed. And when she looked, there was the king standing by the pillar, according to the custom and the captains and the trumpeters beside the king and all the people of the land rejoicing and blowing trumpets. And Athaliah tore her clothes and cried, Treason! Treason! You know, right, right about there I want to cry, Hypocrisy! <laughs> hypocrisy! I mean, she's the one who had destroyed the entire family to keep herself on the throne. Then Jehoiada, the priest, commanded the captains who were set over the army, bring her out between the ranks and put to death with the sword anyone who follows her. You get aside with her, you lose your life. For the priest said, let her not be put to death in the house of the Lord. He didn't want to stain the reputation of the Lord. Didn't have anything to do with Athaliah per se. So they laid hands on her, and she went through the horse's entrance to the king's house, and there she was put to death. Probably not in as violent a way as Jezebel was put to death, but perhaps, I wasn't there, perhaps she was certainly a wicked woman who deserved everything that came her way at that last point in her life. Verse 17, and here we're going to slow down just a little bit. It says this, And Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and people that they should be the Lord's people. 
That reminds me of Jesus. I'll read that again. And Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they should be the Lord's people. Perhaps the most important thing in the morning, perhaps the most important thing in the text, to see that the Lord's people are the Lord's people. And that reminders from time to time are more than worthwhile. Do do you remember um, Joshua 24, right? So the people of Israel have, you know, one generation has wandered for 40 years out in the desert, and they have died off now. And so Joshua and Caleb are going to take the people. They're going to cross the Jordan River. They're going to come into the land. They're going to take uh, Jericho and some other towns, some other regions, and they're going to kind of get themselves uh, victoriously settled into the region. And so then they gather. Joshua gathers them to renew the covenant. And that's a very famous line when he says, hey, choose you this day whom you will serve. He says to, to, to the entire nation, he says this, choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Like, make no doubt. I can't force you to choose one way or the other. But when it comes to me and my house in love, you know, try to be, you know, as, as humble as the Spirit of God will enable me to be, to be a loving husband, to be a loving father, but in love, not to put it forth for debate into my home, but to in love with leadership serve notice to my home. In this house, we serve the Lord, and there will be no argument. We can talk about how. And we'll talk together about hard times that we're going through. But in this house, we will serve the Lord. And there will be no argument. And I say it in love. Joshua, you know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Or... I want to say six, seven weeks ago, Pastor Ryan had been uh, preaching in 1 Kings 18. I think it was Pastor Ryan who preached 1 Kings 18. Anyway, uh, do you remember the chapter? And Elijah, the prophet, has come forward, and he has said, I will meet uh, Ahab and Jezebel if she wants to come, uh, and however many prophets they bring at Mount Carmel. And so let's come together uh, because we're going to have a contest And that's where he says um, uh, to the people, uh, not choose you this day whom you will serve, but he he says, you know what? If God be God, then serve God. And if Baal be God, then serve Baal. And it says that the people remain silent. And then the the terms of the contest are put forth, and there's this altar that's that's built, and all of these things happen, and you know, precious water, the most precious commodity, you know, is poured over the top to drench, and then it's one of my favorite lines in all the Bible. <laughs> um, Elijah says. Um, The God who speaks by fire, let him be God. 
And when it comes to be God's turn, fire comes out of heaven and just obliterates the altar. And the people, the nation, responds with the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. That's what's happening here. That's what Jehoiada is, is calling for, is to remind the people of who they really are, of their identity. That's the reality. They are the people of God. It's something that Jesus prays for in John 17. I want to read that. This is in John 17, verses 20 to 21. Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only. He's talking about the disciples there. He says, I'm not just praying for the disciples, for the 12 guys that have been with me here for a few years. He says, I I do not ask for them only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's all of us. Who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. They are our people, and we are one. They are in us. And so, Father, just make that clear, perfectly clear of the span of church history. Just bring it home again and again and again. This is what I'm praying for. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me the oneness of the people of God as evangelism to the world. Back to 2 Kings. So, and Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they should be the Lord's people and also between the king and the people. Then all the people of the land went to the house of Baal and tore it down. His altars and his images, they broke in pieces and they killed Matin, the priest of Baal, before the altars. Just one observation on that. I don't know that that verse, verse 18, has only to do with some kind of justice that's being executed. I think it also has to do with safety. I think it also has to do with safety. That what's happening here is that the Lord knows, Jehoiada knows, and the people, it's, it's kind of beginning to occur to them, at least subconsciously, that, you know, we need to destroy that which competes with the truth. Now, I'm not trying to make a kind of a blanket statement as to how to apply the text here. But I am going to say that sometimes, even in the case of this priest of Baal, whose name was Matin, sometimes you have to take lives in order to save lives. You know, one, one of the things I get to do in, in my week, and I, and I love to do it, is ride with the Harrisburg police uh, for about an eight-hour shift each week. And... Um, I've got five guys I can think of, five officers off the top of my head uh, who have actually had to draw their weapon and shoot someone and kill somebody in the line of duty. In every instance, it was to save lives. And I'm not just talking theoretically or hypothetically. I'm talking that these guys had, um, they were responding to 911 calls where, um, you know, a mom and a little child was being held hostage. 
And you may have read about, you know, this is just the one that was in my head from the last day. Back in January, um, you know, they're on the roof of a car in the Susquehanna River. I don't know how the car broke through the ice or what happened, but as the man had a knife in his hand and he lunged to hurt again, uh, they would describe, they would find out later, discover later that she had already been stabbed multiple times, the mom had, and that uh, as he went toward, then my guys had to shoot and kill him, but that they saved the mom and her two-year-old boy. Sometimes you have to take a life in order to save lives. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of my guys for having done that. I'm not proud in a sense that they had taken a life, but I'm intensely proud that they saved lives. I can't imagine the adrenaline of that mom having already been stabbed multiple times, still protecting her two-year-old boy. Sometimes you have to take lives, and I think that that's something of what's going on here in verse 18. We can't afford, because no one can afford, no soul, no human being can afford to step into the prophet of Baal and happily make their way down the broad road of destruction while others lend hearty approval to them and what they're doing, Romans 1.32. We, we can't afford that. And so this is how it unfolds. Back into verse 18. And the priest posted watchmen over the house of the Lord. That's Jehoiada. I tend to think that Jesus does that. Look at, um, look at Hebrews. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. And you know what? Before we even go to Hebrews 3, 6, I got to back up for just a second. And I got I to share this real quick. Flip, flip instead of Hebrews 3, folks. Let, let, go to John 2. I, j- I just want to show us something in John 2. Okay? Just something in John 2 here. In John chapter 2, verses 14 to 17, it says about Jesus, in the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. So he's not driving the sheep and the oxen when it says he drove them out. He's driving people with a whip, Jesus Christ. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Why? It's because these money changers are in the way. When it comes to the house of the Lord, Old or New Testament, the point is that people need to get to God. And it made Jesus angry that the Trade was happening. Get this stuff out of here. I've had it. Fashion's a whip. Drives them out. So I just wanted us to see that, you know, Jesus himself has lives, souls in mind. People have to, and I have a great deal of zeal for this. People have to have access to God the Father and I will not tolerate people standing in the way. All right. 
Back to 2 Kings. We had to move quickly. The priest posted watchmen over the house of the Lord. <laughs> I like that he did that. I like that he did it. It says in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14, uh, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. The priest posted watchmen over the house of the Lord. Now turn to Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3. And I want us to, I want us to read just verse 6. But Christ is faithful over all God's house as a son. Jesus, our great high priest, it's going to say in Hebrews 4, 14. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So Jesus it seems to me that Jesus posts watchmen also, right? And you read about elders and deacons and church leaders and so forth who get appointed on the basis of the kind of character that they display and is their integrity. And that's why at this church we tend to go into homes and we're asking wives and we're even asking children about what's, what's your dad really like? before he gets nominated to be on to the elder board at this church, posting watchmen. Jesus, as over the whole house, is all about 1 Timothy 3. He is all about Titus chapter 1, posting the watchmen. Back to 2 Kings. Verse 19, and he took the captains, the Karaites, the guards, and all the people of the land, and they brought the king down from the house of the Lord, marching through the gate of the guards to the king's house. I love that it says that he gathered all the people. All the people were there. And I want to say that um, we, isn't it true about us that we want to be included? We want to be included. All the people of the land all the people in the The day will come, by the way, when whether you've decided to surrender your life to Jesus Christ or not, you will confess that he is Lord. It says that in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, right through there, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth to confess, you know, Jesus is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Just want to make sure that on that day, you're on the right side of the equation, right? Because there will be countless billions who will have to say that through gritted teeth. With hell as eternal destiny, they will confess, yes, he's Lord, and I'm going to hate him forever. We want to make sure that you're on the right side of that equation. And he took a seat on the throne of the kings. So all the people of the land rejoiced. The city was quiet after Athaliah had been put to death with a sword at the king's house. Make sure that you're numbered among all the people who praise and rejoice in the fact that Jesus, you know, in our text, 
Joash, but that Jesus is the one who is throned. Revelation 19, King of kings, Lord of lords forever. It's over the universe. Make sure that you're numbered among the all so that you can rejoice. Savor the quiet, the peace that flows in the wake of a throned king. And then just very quickly, the first three verses here I want to share from chapter 12. Now we get to Joash, finally. (laughs) In the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash slash Joash, same name, began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebiah of Beersheba. And Jehoash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days because, and it is a monumental because. In fact, you could even say only because, only because Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. The people continued to sacrifice and make offerings on the high places. So what about this guy, Joash? He gets saved as an infant. He gets hidden away in the temple. He spends the next six years of his life to become king at the age of seven. He's got Jehoiada now who's going to teach and instruct him. But what does he do with it? The first thing he does is something he doesn't do. He doesn't destroy or tear down the high places. That's something you read again and again. I don't know what it was about the high places, that they were just in such pretty destinations. Oh, I love the view or what, but that they, it almost seems to me as though the kings are intimidated by the people. You know, I'm going to destroy everything else, but I just can't touch the high places because they're too special. Sin. Oh, but I want to let the people worship the way that the people want to worship. Sin. He didn't destroy the high places. He's lukewarm. I'll let you worship the way you want to. I'll take most of it away, but not all of it. Most, but yeah, you still got something. It goes on from there. I'm just going to summarize because it's a little bit longer chapter that Joash comes up with this idea of, you know what, I, I, some of this is conjecture. I spent some time in the temple when I was a kid, and I've kind of got a heart for the temple, and so um, I, I think I might like to do some repairs there. And so I'm going to rally up the priests, and we're going to have a little conversation. I'm going to have those guys do the work and you know, figure out where the money comes from. And Okay, now I'm moving on to something else. i got something else in my head. And other affairs of the kingdom are just a way to spoil myself. I don't know. Years go by. And whether it occurred to Joash or one of his servants, somebody, oh, what about that thing in the temple and the reparations that you were going to do? Oh, yeah, that's right. He calls the priests back together. And Jehoiada, who is numbered among them, he's still high priest, comes back and you see great deficiency in his character where, you know, yeah, I'm a servant of the Lord and I love the Lord, but it doesn't reach quite as far as my wallet with Jehoiada. And you get to read that here in chapter 12. You say, yeah, well, we've got, we've been kind of holding on to the money. We haven't done much repair. In fact, we haven't done any repair. 
And so they come up with this idea, you know, we'll just we'll get, we'll get a box, we'll drill a hole in it, we'll, we'll have the people kind of give the cash they want, and so we'll get, some, we'll get some money, and then we'll have some workmen come in, some subcontractors. They were the only honest ones in the entire narrative. <laughs> it says that they did good work, and then they got paid for it, but they didn't do a lot of work, and there was a lot of stuff that got undone, and it just seems like Joash really doesn't care. Yeah, when it, you know, I did a little bit. Time goes by. Hatzil, general of the Syrian army, brings his forces. He threatens Jerusalem, and he gets bought off by Joash, who says, you know what, let's empty the temple treasury, give all the gold to Hatzil, and so we'll keep the army at bay. He shouldn't have done that. That's not right. Time goes by, Jehoiada dies, and in 2 Chronicles 24, it tells us that it's virtually incomprehensible. Joash ends up killing Jehoiada's son for preaching Jehoiada's message because he didn't want to hear it anymore. He's sick of God. And then finally, last chapter in his story, two of his servants assassinate him. He just kind of peters out into nothing. Subpar, maybe not steroids. Subpar. The mediocrity, the trailing off of a man who couldn't, or at least wouldn't, he would not choose to make the faith his own and then stand in it. Let's, let's go ahead and pray. Let's pray. Father, it, it just strikes me that here is this man who had such opportunity. He was king, king. And he had this man, this priest, under whom he did right, he was concerned to at least appear righteous as he went along in his reign. And yet at the end of the day, it seems as though he just didn't have anything in his heart that was real. Holy Spirit-born commitment back toward you. And Father, it's, it's enough to make us grieve. We don't want that to happen to us want to be sons and daughters of God who are committed because we're empowered by your spirit to be so. We want to walk with you. We want to stand firm. We want to be on the alert. We don't want to be ending up like Joash. Father, we want to be respecting and loving and so grateful forever for what Christ has done to be numbered among his people. So, Father, continue your work in each one of us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.